live momentarily. Uh, welcome again to our series on the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, we missed June, which we is did. a little unfortunate. Summer is crazy around here. We always expect things to slow down. And they never do. And it never does. <laughs> so we are behind by a month, but we're back up to pace. Um, we will be doing paragraphs 800 to 850. At least that's what I read. Did you guys read the same thing? Yes, sir. Fantastic. We're all in agreement. <laughs> um, and so before we officially get started, let's go ahead and pray. Yeah, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the church, for your calling us home more and more each and every day, for giving us all that we need to go out to all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching and preaching all that you taught us. Help us to appreciate the great gift of the church, of the sacraments, of just your love constantly being poured out upon us. And we ask this through the intercession of our blessed Mother Mary, Mother of the Church, as we pray. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, as you can see, we have a little bit of different setup today. We have a third person today, our good friend Robbie, our summer, sem summer seminarian. Um, before we get started, Robbie, can you do a 30-second to a minute introduction <laughs> sure, of yourself sure. so that good people at home who don't know you now know you? Yeah, uh, so I'll include some information that's pertinent to the articles we'll be reading today. Uh, so I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, I grew up Protestant. I grew up United Methodist. Uh, I went to school at the University of Tennessee where I became a Catholic my senior year of college after bouncing around and trying to find the truth about Christ and the church. Uh, and I am going into my fifth year as a seminarian. Uh, and it's been a real pleasure to be here at Sacred Heart this summer. And I'll be starting my studies at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio this fall. Fantastic. And obviously, Sacred Heart has been your favorite summer summer so far. Got <laughs> <laughs> a lot of competition. It's been pretty rough. Yeah. Oh, it's been so great to be here. It's his yeah. first one. This is his favorite because it's his only one. Yeah. But we will take that claim to fame as long as possible. Um, at least for the next year. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah. So it's we'll, a it's a great place to start. I'll yeah, tell you. Yeah. We've got a lot of things going on all the time and as Michael said, I think we always expect the summertime to be really slow. And I even told Robbie, I'm like, hey, you know, July, it's a lot slower. There's not much going on. But I'm beat. There's a lot mm. going on all the time. And uh, we're, we're right in the midst of TOTUS 2 this week, which is awesome. Um, even right now, we're kind of just in between the, the first to sixth grader program. And then there's what the, the potluck tonight with their, uh, the kids program with all their singing. And then the teens come back at 7. And they were here till nine fifteen last night. We had the uh, you know adoration and confessions, and just it's just so beautiful. I'm so proud of our kids. Mm -hmm. And um, Robbie was uh, complimenting just you know just how good the kids were last night. So do you mind just saying? Which I I just want that that compliment sure. to publicly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so typically during Totus Tuus, they have one night during the week where they have more time for adoration and confessions, uh, and so. Uh, last night, two of the Tertius missionaries talked about, one talked about adoration, uh, and one talked about confession, and, uh, and just trying to be instruments to kind of break down the barriers there um, from developing a deeper interior life in front of our Lord in adoration, and then also just having the courage, the humility, and the confidence in God's mercy to go to confession. 
And so last night, just seeing, uh, particularly like afterwards, I was walking out, seeing all of the young people uh, who are participating in Toast to Us this week and seeing the joy on their faces and um, particularly seeing some people hug each other and tears from some and um, just seeing really surprised in a beautiful way to see so many people, I would think, moved by God's mercy uh, to want to entrust themselves to him through confession and so in that time of adoration. So I've just, and just throughout this week, that was just one example of several others that I could say about this week, seeing the interest of, of our youth and our community uh, to want to grow in their faith and their attentiveness and inquisitiveness. So it's been a really encouraging week to see what the Lord has done um, with those to us. That's awesome. It's always a beautiful week at our parish. It's always a very tiring, exhausting, and a little <laughs> bit hectic week at the parish. But, I mean, tomorrow's the final day. Yeah, Tomorrow is water day. Thank you, Chief Morris, for arranging the fire truck for us. It's going to be a blast. Um, and another Toast yeah. to us week of wrap, so that'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's just great. Yeah, blast from a water cannon. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's wonderful, and yeah, it's been great to get to be with the kids at 11 o'clock mass every day, and just... Yeah, it's it's been awesome. So really happy that we've had, and we've had so many. It was a, it was a good number, mm-hmm. and team was fantastic, and so just all around a, a great Toto Stewis week. And I think the team was telling me that they asked the third and fourth graders how many have been to Toto Stewis before, mm-hmm. and only like three or four of them rose their hand. Really? Which is awesome that we're getting new people in. We didn't have it two years ago for COVID. True. Last year was light because of COVID, so there's some... Yeah. Fresh blood, dare I say, at the mm. Toast program, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, you know, it's funny to me, just, uh, I forget who I was talking to about this, but just having been here now for eight years, the number of kids that now are now on the teen track, you know, that were the little guys when I got here, and just, and, like, seeing them as the helpers now, and it's lovely. It's just so good. Mm. Well, I mean, I was talking to a couple of the teen helpers. They said, wait, you taught Totus to us? Like, to me. I said, yeah, you know back when I was in college, and like, did we come to your program? I'm like, you guys were like two years old when that yeah, happened. I know. So it's it's weird to, yeah, see that transition as well. For mm. Which is actually how we met in the first place. True. Fathers at Arlie Grace and I was the Tedis Tudis teacher. Yep, that's, that's when we wow. first met all those many years ago. Yes, indeed. 12, to be exact. <laughs> it, does, it feels longer than 12. But it, it does. It feels like a lifetime ago. It's crazy, man. All right, well, diving into the catechism. Um, so... <coughs> Eight, uh, 800 kind of finishes up the previous section on the Holy Spirit. Um, talks about charisms, which I think we talked a little bit about last time. I think we um, might have. So probably what w- would be best for us to do is start at actually 811, if okay. you guys are both okay with that. Yeah. Unless there's anything that you wanted to talk about. Obviously, I love talking about charisms. I was going to say, I don't want yeah, it to yeah. be the Michael Becker show. Um, <laughs> it is, you know, catechism of the Catholic Church, so I think... For all of your sakes at home, we'll keep moving. I think that's a good idea. The only thing I was going to say just with the charisms is just that, you know, God gives those gifts, you know, and and we're going to get into unity and diversity in the church, but just, you know, we're given those things that just each of us has that, you know, we light up and and can serve and just the Holy Spirit working through us. Yeah, those charisms are great gifts. So, anyway. Yeah, paragraph 799 to 801 on charisms. Go go and read it because it is well worth reading. Very short, Mm. very easy to do. So, starting at 811, 811, we get into a really, actually, this is a really awesome part oh, of yeah. the Catechism. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Where we talk about the church being one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. So, remember, we're going through the creed here, right? So, we're going through the points of the creed, specifically the Apostles' Creed. And so, we're at the point where we're talking about the church as one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Um, and 
the Catechism does a really good job at looking at each one of these four, dare I say, pillars of the church. Um, and so we're going to be going through almost the entirety of three. I don't think we get the entirety of Catholic, so we'll finish up Catholic next time around and apostolic, but we get all of one and holy. So, mm -hmm. the church is one. Father, take us away. <laughs> So we look into the fact of, you know, just kind of a quick overview about, you know, the unity of the church all over. 813 gives us the reasons for that unity, especially in a Trinitarian way, um, that, you know, the church is one because of her source. The highest exemplar and source of this mystery is the unity in the Trinity of persons of one God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The church is one because of her founder, for the Word made flesh, the Prince of Peace, reconciled all men to God by the cross, restoring the unity of all in one people and one body, and then the church is one because of her soul, is the Holy Spirit dwelling in those who believe in pervading and ruling over the entire church, who brings about that wonderful communion of the faithful and joins them together so intimately in Christ that he is the principle of the church's unity. I just love it. It's like, you know, going right to the Trinity, you know, and the fact of, like, calling us into that communion. You know, just like last week um, in the Gospel, where the uh, apostles asked, or the disciples asked Jesus, you know, teach us to pray, um, you know, as John taught his disciples to pray. And he starts with, when you pray, say, Father. You know, like, it's the Son telling us to say Father. And at the end of that, it says, if you who are wicked know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Spirit? Like, it's an incredible thing that, like, God is drawing us into that Trinitarian communion, you know, through the church. Like, we've had this handed down to us. You know, the church has given to us a gift throughout time and calls all of us to be one. So it's like you have this unity, and it comes from the Trinity itself. And I mean, that's, it's a powerful thing when you think about it, just like, you know, the, the very founding from God who does all of this in the way that, you know, even within the Trinity, the being the source, the founder, and the soul of the church. I just found that really interesting. But then I find, interesting, mm -hmm. 8.14, Literally, the next paragraph talks about the great diversity of the church. Isn't this such a Catholic thing that we always have to have both hands? Oh, yeah. Got to have the unity. We've got to be one. But don't forget the diversity. And the diversity in what? The diversity in people yeah. and cultures and conditions and offices and gifts. Dare I say, charism. Um, I think you ought dare say. I, I, so. I did dare say. <laughs> um, and so we have, it's not this humdrum monochromatic unity or oneness. There's a richness in the diversity of so many people that can come together in this one church. And I, in my own personal experience, the time I saw this the best was when I attended World Youth Day in Spain. Mm. Like just seeing the diversity of people and cultural expressions and all these people from around the world ending up in Madrid, Spain to celebrate this one church and this one faith. It was breathtaking. It was absolutely amazing. I think my favorite place I've gotten to see it in the same, and, and I agree with you. I think in some ways, even just like here last night, the diversity of kiddos right here at our parish all coming together, worshiping, you know, the, the one Lord in the Eucharist, getting to go to confession, like they're all getting to go to the same sacraments. But, you know, the diversity of gifts and even just the kids right here. But then it's like, you know, you go out from the wider local level, the place I've gotten to experience in particular is like going to Fatima. And when you have the international rosary, mm -hmm. like each decade is in a different language led by different people, but we're all praying the same Hail Mary. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I like, I like the way I've heard it put before, 
like we're all about unity, but not uniformity. You know, it's like we're we're united in the love of God, but that doesn't mean that we're all exactly the same cookie cutter. You know, it's like yeah, like you said, it's the both and. But um, then in eight fifteen, there are a couple things that bind us together. Before we go to eight fifteen, oh. though, because I think there's a line at the conclusion of eight fourteen that's really important. Because like talking about all this diversity, um, like two two sentences up, the great richness of richness of such diversity is not opposed to the church's unity. And this I underline this. Yet sin and the burden of its consequences constantly threaten the gift of unity. And so the apostle has to exhort Christians to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So. It's interesting because like we're diverse, but we're not scattered. Like it's like uh, Bishop Barron likes to bring this up all the time. It's like the diabolical diaboline. It's like um, you know the it has to do with uh, with like spreading apart, and the devil tries to pull us apart, and that would be like false diversity. We have a diversity of gifts, but they're all united, and that's why we have to guard against sin, like taking things into our own hands. Well, Robbie, what's the bond of peace? I've never heard of that before. <laughs> Yeah, when I read that, I think of the words of Christ in the Gospel of John and our Lord, and we hear it all the time in Mass. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. And so thinking about there's a difference between uh, a false peace, uh, a superficial peace, and the true peace that comes from God. The true peace that comes from God is that which the world world cannot give, and that is to uh, reign in our hearts in all things that regardless of what's happening circumstantially in the world, in our own personal lives, in our emotions, in our relationships, etc., that that peace can reign in our hearts to be able to hear the voice of God and do the will of God consequently. And so this idea of this is the bond of peace, that um, the unity of the Spirit, the Spirit who gives us this peace, so that we might all, as a unified body with our diverse gifts and our one calling to be saints, would better hear the voice of God and do the will of God. So it's a part of it, I think. Absolutely. Um, And I really like how, did you notice that, Charity is mentioned a lot in this section of the catechism. Yeah. Um, right here in 8.15. Above all, charity binds everything together in perfect harmony. And you'll see charity a lot as we keep ch- chatting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what better way to bind us together than to love one another? And once again, it's like, uh, you know, Pope Benedict's first encyclical was Deus Caritas mm. S. You know, God mm. is love. Like, God is charity. So once again, it's like, at the heart of it, the founder or the source, the founder, and the soul, being God himself of the church. And the church is, you know, like this mysterious gift, yeah, that is enlivened and unified by charity. Mm. Fantastic. But now, are we always unified? Jumping over to 817, unless we uh, need to chat about anything else Something else, else we need to talk about? I mean, uh, no, we kind of just said the yet sin. Yeah, I mean, no, we're not always unified, right? Yeah. There's a lot of things that wound this oneness and this unity. I mean, we see a lot of churches out there. We see a lot of organizations. We see a lot of different Christians. I mean, we don't even have to go outside the own ca- our own Catholic church. We're not always unified even within the Catholic church. I mean, there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. going on in the Catholic church right now, and there's a lot of people with differing opinions on how things mm-hmm. should work and things should go. But ultimately, that's not, that is sin, right? Um, here in 818. However, one cannot charge with the sin of separation those who are at present born into these communities. So there is sin that separates us, but we have to understand that not everyone is accountable for this sin mm-hmm. because people don't are born into this and they don't always know what's been happening for years before their own birth. I just couldn't read that whole paragraph. Perfect. That's an important one. 818. However, one cannot charge with the sin of the separation those 
who at present are born into these communities that resulted from such separation, and in them are brought up in the faith of Christ, and the Catholic Church accepts them with respect and affection as brothers. All who have been justified by faith in baptism are incorporated into Christ. They, therefore, have a right to be called Christians, and with good reason are accepted as brothers in the Lord by the children of the Catholic Church. So we're recognizing what this is saying is sin has separated us. We all aren't culpable, essentially, of that sin because we were born into this. However, even within the separation, there is a unity within mm -hmm. the baptism of Christ, mm -hmm. within becoming Christian and being born again through Christ's baptism. And there's a special place of unity even within the disunity. I think that's, you know, and basically we're getting into something called ecumenism and like hoping for, you know, all of us to be, you know, completely in the, you know, one holy Roman Catholic church. Um, but I just, I find that one interesting. I think it's important to kind of remember about the, you know, one kind of charge of the sin of separation, those who are present are born into these communities. So basically what that means is like, okay, for example, you know, it's like, okay, Robbie was born a United Methodist, right? Just to use you as an mm -hmm. example. So it's not like you chose to break off from the Catholic Church. You were born into this. And so it's like, you know, when we go about the work of ecumenism, it's like meeting people where they're at and not just like being like, oh, you know, hello, like you schismatic. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like, like coming mm -hmm. at it, like, because, you know, the, the situation in which someone finds themselves, you know, is going to be different than it was 500 years ago or, mm -hmm. or 300 right. years ago when like an initial rift, say, takes place. Um, and so, okay, where do we go <laughs> from where we pick up right now? Um, so we kind of like deal with this sort of thing all the time. You know, it's like as people are interested in the Catholic Church, um, like I've, I've had, you know, several folks who have, who have converted. It's like, I just, I never learned any of this before. I, I've never been taught any of this. So it's like they, they never had the opportunity, you know, to learn a lot of different things. They just find themselves in a particular historical circumstance of here they are. So... It's like we have to, I think once again, it goes back to that charity, loving what we have, loving the great gift of the Catholic Church, and then excitedly sharing that with other people without being like, oh, you know, you're a heretic. You need to be like burned at the stake. It's like, no, it's not that. But it's like, hey, I understand like this is what you've been given. And it's like, okay, when we have, you know, this, this fullness, like we have, we, we share the scriptures with a lot of them, although some of them have kind of like rejected some of the books of sacred scripture. Like, we have the sacraments. We want you to have that. We have this apostolic succession. I mean, this is kind of what it was talking mm. about here. You know, that 815 mm. you were talking about, the profession of the one faith receives an apostle, the common celebration of divine worship, especially the sacraments. Love this too. Apostolic succession through the sacrament of holy orders, maintaining the fraternal concord of God's family. I mean, it's like we have this unbroken line all the way back to Jesus Christ. And even though over time some have broken away from that, find themselves in this state of separation, you know, in different communities outside of that. And hey, even though they have some elements of goodness and we try to build on that, still we want to share, you know, this great treasure that we have. Um, anything you want to add to that or any thoughts on that regard? Yeah, I, going off of that, I like just to bump to the next paragraph, uh, 819. Furthermore, many elements of sanctification and of truth are found outside the visible confines of the Catholic Church, the written word of God, the life of grace, faith, hope, and charity, the other interior gifts of the Holy Spirit, as well as visible elements. Christ's Spirit uses these churches and ecclesial communities as means of salvation, whose power derives from the fullness of grace and truth that Christ has entrusted to the Catholic Church. 
All these blessings come from Christ and lead to him and are in themselves calls to Catholic unity. And I think relating part of it to my own experience becoming Catholic and then um, when I was at the University of Tennessee, I had a lot of Protestant friends and so trying to talk to them about this and we had some enlivening conversations, I would say. Uh, and so I think a big part of this is this element of the many elements of sanctification and truth. Uh, like finding those praiseworthy elements within mm-hmm. these denominations and saying, look, like these are, especially when we're talking to these Protestants, like I, I like that attitude of, uh, you know, we can't have this attitude where you just see no goodness whatsoever in these groups. Like we see all these elements that are truly praiseworthy. Uh, and then trying to, yet while affirming that, like you're saying, like lead into the fullness of that is in the Catholic faith. The fullness of that is like all those good things that you find that hold you in your denomination, the fullness of that, and even more, is, is, is of what you're experiencing now is in the Catholic faith. Uh, and so I think just trying to, the attitude, trying to invite them to more. Um, and uh, so, you know. No, it's really good. And, you know, it's interesting because I know there's, like, part of us, because I, I, I sort of suffer from it, too. It's like our culture, where we find ourselves, we're almost, like, allergic to saying, like, well, what I have is better than what you have. And that's the way it feels, like, to some people. But the thing is, it's like that's not saying I'm better than you. What it's saying is what we have here is what Jesus Christ gave us. Like the church is not just like a human construction. It's not Mm. like a group of us got together in Salisbury, North Carolina, like, hey, let's build a place out there on Jake Alexander and we'll have ourselves a, you know, a hall where we can get. No, I mean, this is divinely inspired from, you know, the one source, founder, and soul. And when you think about it, it's like Christ trying to bring us all into his kingdom, bring us to himself. And as he prayed at the Last Supper that they may all be one, it only makes sense that he would want us to all be one. Mm. And so that's not to say that other people aren't participating, like you were saying, some of these good things, and like to emphasize those, but then to point towards, and yet there's still more. And, mm. it's, and, and to see, and like this is where we can trace it all the way back to the beginning. Mm. We have that apostolic succession. And, you know, and there, there are things they can point to. It's like, but wait a second, you know, what about this, this problem or this problem? What about this bad pope? What about, you know, when, you know, this king decided to, you know, launch this attack? And, hey, I get it, yeah. The tr- and we'll even kind of talk about the mystery of sin within the church, right? But to think about our Lord telling us he would be with us until the end of the age, he, he means what he says, and he's not going to say something like that without guaranteeing that with like a, a strong way of safeguarding it. And I've just found it's like even like through the beautiful strengths and successions all the way back to the beginning, but even in the fact that there have been so many weaknesses besetting the church, and yet here she still is, it's like I think that is a proof of the divine institution. And the very fact that, you know, mm. outside of the boundaries of the Catholic Church, like how many tens of thousands of denominations are there mm. now and how often does that happen? And that's a problem, you know, mm. and, and our Lord wanted us to be one, not to split off every time that there were issues. And we didn't really start splitting, you know, for, I mean, it even says like from the beginning there have been issues, but nevertheless, it's like we didn't really have a big split until about a thousand years mm. later and then another 500 years after that. And so to, you know, hold on and invite people in that unity, even seeing the good that's there. It's like, hey, use that and keep growing it. And I'm always so inspired to see different converts that have, have done that and grown mm. into it. And it doesn't make us, like, we can't boast. It's not us. It's like the only thing we boast in is the cross of mm. Christ. And he draws mm. all to himself. Mm. So, anyway.
But this concern for unity and this desire to bring people together is important for everyone to recognize. Yeah. Right? This is the part of, I think, the universal call of holiness. Mm -hmm. That just like we are all called to be holy in the church and to be saints one day, we are all called to be workers in the vineyard, right? Yeah. I think the church has had this maybe clericalist mindset is a little too hard of a term, but seeing the priests or religious saying, oh, that's their job to spread the faith. No, it's all of our jobs. It's everyone's job. And in 822, right? Concern for achieving unity involves the whole church faithful and clergy alike. But we, we must realize that this holy objective, the reconciliation of all Christians and the unity of the one and holy church of Christ, transcends human powers and gifts. That is why we place all our hope in the prayer of Christ for the church, in the love of the Father for us, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why I love the, the parable of the sower of the field, right? Mm -hmm. The farmer that sows the field is a terrible farmer because he understands that the, this unity, this reconciliation of Christians has very little to do with us. We go out, we proclaim, but it transcends human power and gifts. Mm. And it's about Holy Spirit and Church mm. of Christ. So never be afraid to go out and try to achieve this unity. Mm. But if we don't see fruit, which a lot of times we don't, yeah. mm. that's not that transcends something of our own powers and gifts. And I'd say too, and I like what you said there too about you know the unique role of you know the laity going out there. It's like yeah, you've got to do a lot. Because I mean, I, I mean, my job is pretty well laid out for me. Like I need to celebrate the sacraments. I need to do it faithfully. I need to do it consistently. I need to make them available because I need to strengthen the people of this parish to then go out and do the work of evangelization. I mean, I'm not gonna work. I'm not gonna reach your fallen away Catholic co-workers or your, you know, evangelical neighbor, like, cause I'm here, like, and I'm supposed to be here. Like you're the one who's working with them. And so like, you need to like, take the good news to assess the situation, to see the good things that they already have. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to this Bible study and I found like here, I actually have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, hey, you want to hear about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I actually get to go down to the altar every Sunday and receive him. Mm. Body, blood, soul, and divinity mm. in the Eucharist. Like, yeah, the scriptures are incredible. It's amazing. We do basically scripture study mm. for the first half of Mass every week. Mm. And we do different ones all the time. It's not like just the greatest hits always, you know? Like, we get something different and there's this awesome cycle. And then it goes to the fulfillment. And you could receive that. And you could receive the mercy and cleansing of being ready to actually receive Christ and to get excited about it. Because, I mean, yeah, I get, I get kind of excited about it. This mm. is what I do. It's who I'm, but, like, yeah, people see me. It's like, he dresses funny. You know, I'm like, fine, yeah, that's his thing. He's You're supposed to, to be excited I'm about I'm supposed that. to be. And if I'm not, I'm like the saddest of all people. I mean, like, burned out, grumpy priests who don't really mm. believe. There's really nobody more pitiable, quite honestly. Like, I don't know who's sadder than that. Um, so it's like being in love with Jesus Christ and then... Like, you being in love with him. And okay, don't worry. Like, you didn't get to just go on a conference like I did last week to learn all about the Gospel of Luke. Hey, it's okay. You know, it's fine. Somebody doesn't need you to, like, cite every, you know, time that Luke talks about a meal in the Gospel. Great. Don't worry about that. But, like, you know, you get the opportunity to go and just, like, bask in the radiating glory of the source of unity, Jesus Christ, in adoration every Wednesday night, all night long, for as long as you want, the church is just open. Like, and then to take that, you know, it's almost like that divine sunburn, and like, and then like go out and share that 
heat and light with the people that you encounter in your job because um, they need it. And it's just, mm. you know, and, and I'm, I don't get to go to work with you. I mean, I guess there could be a take your priest to work day, but still. Like, I get to go to work with Yeah, you. there you go. There you go. But like, make sure you're taking it out there. And, mm. and also, like Robbie was saying, building on the gifts that you see in other people. Because there are, there's, you know, participations in the truth all over the place. But we want people to have the fullness mm. of the truth. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, to keep us moving right along, because we've got two more to do, let's talk about the church being holy. Robbie, why don't you kick us off on the church being holy? Yeah, something I wanted to reflect um, on, just from something that was paragraphs earlier that we didn't read uh, entirely, but this idea of the church as one holy Catholic and apostolic, and Father talked about this a little bit earlier, on how these formats of the church reflect the Trinity, we particularly focus on the oneness of it. Um, and so... I digress on all the other elements now and how they reflect the triune God, but particularly the element when it comes to the church being holy and God being, you know, eternally he who is pure act, as St. Thomas Aquinas would say, he was infinitely holy. Um, thinking about how, um, you know, the church is a manifestation in time of the utter sanctity of God and this great mystery of while in our uh, natural, you know, like due to uh, the effects of, personal sin and the inclinations we have to sin in certain ways that we try and overcome over the course of our lives, yet nonetheless with the life of grace in us uh, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the charisms that we've been given for the building up of the body, we are nonetheless like truly, not just merely declared holy like some Protestant denominations would say, but we truly are holy. We truly are transformed by the grace of God and day by day as we behold the glory of the Lord, we become more and more like Him, uh, even if we don't perceive those its effects in our lives. And so um, yeah, I think just to get into it, I'm going to read that, that first paragraph there and keep going further. The church is held as a matter, matter of faith to be unfailingly holy. This is because Christ, the Son of God, who with the Father and the Spirit is hailed as alone holy, loved the church as his bride, giving himself up for her so as to sanctify her. He joined her to himself as his body and endowed her with the gift of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. The church then is the holy people of God and her members are called saints. That's great. And the church is all about this fulfillment for giving us the means of salvation, right? Mm -hmm. The church is the normal means by which Christ gave us to enter heaven. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of people forget that, right? That they feel like there's a better way, that there's some other way we could do this, right? Like, well, what if I just went out to the tree stump in the middle of the woods and ask for forgiveness for my sins. Wouldn't God forgive me? Most likely, but that's not actually the way Jesus told us in Scripture to do it, yeah. right? Well, what about this, the communion or, you know, shouldn't we do it this way? Well, maybe, but again, I don't think that's how Christ told us to do it. If we understand that the church is the normal means for which we grow in holiness and receive salvation then it, it makes a, I think it makes a whole lot more sense mm -hmm. of why we're doing what we're doing. And ultimately, as it says in 826, as we kind of hinted at as well, charity is the, soul of is the soul of the holiness to which all are called. It governs, shapes, and perfects all the means of sanctification. So again, charity is going to bring about this unity and oneness. And through our charity, we're going to be better able to grow holiness. 
And I would say, too, especially as, you know, I think all ages are like this. I mean, you fall into, like, the cynicism of not really believing that it's possible. And I liked what you Mm. said there, too, Robbie, about we don't just declare people, oh, you're all holy. It's like, no, I mean, all of us have to be involved in the work of salvation. Obviously, you know, grace is a gratuitous gift. Like, God is pouring it out upon us. But he doesn't force it upon us. Like, we have to engage and work with uh, Dr. Feingold at our conferences last week. Talked about this too, like the cooperative grace. Like, okay, like you can you can confirm, uh, the bishop can confirm a whole group of eighth graders, and some of them might not really be into it, right? They might they may even be in mortal sin, and you know, but they still receive the character of the sacrament. They're not going to get confirmed again later, but like they need to cooperate with that that grace. Like they go to confession and they open themselves up to it. Boom, like the, the grace from the sacrament of confirmation is made available to them. And that is what changes the world. You know, it's like, and, and, and I love this too, as you said, 826. There's a quote from St. Therese of Lisieux. And this is the only time I can remember so far in the catechism where you get a quote that has a whole bunch of all caps. I assumed mm. you would want to read that part, so yes. I didn't. You're so good you. to me. Okay, I'll read the St. Therese of Lisieux part. It's so good. So she says this If the church was a body, Composed of different members, it couldn't lack the noblest of all. It must have a heart and a heart, all caps, burning with love. And I realized that this love alone was the true, mo- the true motive force which enabled the other members of the church to act. If it ceased to function, the apostles would forget to preach the gospel. The martyrs would refuse to shed their blood. Here comes all caps for the rest. Love, in fact, is the vocation which includes all others. It's a universe of its own, comprising all time and space. It's eternal. And I love that, too, because, you know, you think about that, like this, these diverse charisms, all these different gifts, right? Like, I mean, chances are, who knows the way culture is going? It may get worse. We're probably not called to be actual red blood martyrs. We'll probably more likely be like white martyrs who have to make sacrifices and all this, but most likely won't be killed for our faith. Who knows? I could be wrong. But... You know, but the thing is, is, okay, we're not all called to that, but it doesn't mean we're not all called to be saints. And St. Therese points out, it's like we all have this vocation to love with the heart of Christ, you know, being love in the body of Christ, and how that, you know, we cooperate with that, and it enlivens the charisms God has given us. And even mm-hmm. just the three of us have diverse gifts that we've been given, diverse backgrounds um, that our Lord enlivens with love and then sends out to change the whole world. There's a line coming up in 828 talking about the saints. You know, insane. I mean, basically, it's like from Sanctus for holy, you know, standing apart. It's a quote from St. John Paul II, where he says in the middle of the paragraph, These saints have always been the source and origin of renewal in the most difficult moments in the church's history. Basically, people who live heroic, like heroically virtuous lives are the ones throughout history that have been like huge sources of renewal. So you know what? If you're getting discouraged and upset and depressed because, you know, there aren't any good, strong leaders in the church, in the government, in the world, well, guess what? It's your turn. You're called to be a saint. Like, God's not going to say, like, oh, what did Biden do? What did Trump do? What did, you know, this person or that person do? He's going to say, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? Well, Lord, you only gave me one, so I buried it. Like You could have done so much with that talent. I wanted you to show love to this particular person. Like, well, you know, I was homebound. Why did you watch so much TV? Why weren't you praying the rosary and offering up sacrifices for all the poor sinners who don't know me? You know, why didn't you pick up the phone and call, you know, people who are lonely and just build them up? 
You know, like, it's just, we can fall into this trap of the, oh, woe is me because culture is so bad, and oh, they're having nights of rage. Well, you know what? Counteract it with nights of prayer, penance, peace, and joy. I mean, joy for what? It's also bad. You know what? There's a lot of life out there. There's a lot of beautiful children. There's a wonderful preg crisis pregnancy center in town. Go support them. Tell them how much you love them. You know, and like, and to just meet that kind of rage with the love that Christ has given you and how has renewal happened in the past, not typically our Lord giving any kind of divine mandate. And when he does give one, it's usually to a saint to tell them, hey, remind people to repent and remind, remember that I love them. You know, it's like St. Margaret Mary Alcoke. I thirst for your love. It's consuming me, our Lord is saying. He wants us to love him back with the burning fire of love coming from his heart. That's what makes saints, and that's what changes the world. And the church, which is holy, like gives us like you know this unfailing grace and fire and just awesomeness for us to be on fire with holiness too. And it's possible for us to be out there living temples of the Holy Spirit to bring this goodness, this awesome love into everything that we do. Sorry, I kind of got entangled. And a friendly <laughs> reminder, St. Teresa of Lisieux, who just wrote this right here, she was a cloistered nun, mm. but she was the patron mm. saint of missionaries. Yep. Mm. So remember that. Just because the fact mm. that you're cloistered or homebound or don't get out much, patron saint of missionaries. Yeah. That's a pretty that's a pretty good reminder. Mm. And 24-year-old girl doctor of the church. Mm. I mean, that's it's powerful stuff. And it's you know, doing, you know, the ordinary things with extraordinary love. And yes, does that feel impossible? You know what? For us, it is impossible. But for God, all things mm. are possible. He pours out his grace upon us. And by our very baptism, remember, like that may have happened for you on April 11th, 1982, like it did for me. But that, that grace and that character are still present to this day. And to renew your baptismal promises every morning. This is another thing I heard on the conference that was so good. Monsignor Mike Heinz in his homily said, you know, I used to like wake up and think, oh no, you know, I got this, this conference with these angry parents from the school later today, it's going to be a terrible day. And he goes, and you know what? It was a terrible day. And he goes, you know, I stopped doing that and worrying about the day. And he said, first thing I do when I get up now, I renew my baptismal promises. Like basically I pray the Apostles' Creed as I'm making the bed. And remembering the fact, like I've been baptized into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he will give me the grace that I need. I mean, he gives you the fruits of the Holy Spirit of baptism. You know, wisdom and knowledge, counsel, understanding, piety, fortitude, fear of the Lord. You've got them. Pray for them. Pray for that re-enlivening of that. And it's not just by human effort. And you, when, you, when you ask for that, he's a generous giver. He doesn't, like, he can't be outdone in generosity. And so when you know, okay, yeah, I've got a, a meeting later on. I know it's going to be tough, but Lord... I know you've already given me the grace. And you know what? And you've given them guardian angels. And you've given them that just like, hey, let's pray that that charity, not depression, anxiety, worry about what may be coming, but that charity is there and he's going to provide and help that holiness to grow. Hmm. Fun stuff. Fantastic. All right. Any last thoughts on the church being holy? I don't think so. Just stay. Become a saint. What else is there? Father always says that we need to be a saint factory. That's our goal. And, I mean, this really affirms that right here, that mm. that obviously is the goal of the church and her holiness. And we're trying the best here at Sacred mm. Heart to accomplish those goals. Absolutely. Mm. And remember, and like Michael said before, too, it's not just the priests. It's not just the religious. It's all of us together. 
You know, like, we had all night adoration last night. And people were like, oh, Father, it's so good of you to have adoration. Like, look, we wouldn't have it if everybody didn't show up. Mm. You know, like, if, if you weren't coming, I, I'd have to stop mm. doing it because I can't physically be here all night long. It's not possible. But, like, it happens because people participate. We have totus to us because people participate. I mean, you can say, like, and, and every person absolutely matters, but it would be really difficult for us if, like, three kids showed up, you know? I mean, it would be kind of a bummer and we'd be kind of down. We have like what 75, 80? I mean, it's I think 70 uh, first through sixth graders, yeah, which is awesome. And in the end, then another I don't know, 50, 40, 40 something, yeah, yeah. So that's 110 kids taking some of the last weeks of their summer to be here to learn about the gospel, to spend time in prayer, to go to mass every day, to be to spend time in adoration, to go to confession, and to have a lot of fun too. But it's like it's all so good. And so, like, if you don't show up, if you don't do the good work of participating with God and striving to grow in holiness, to be a disciple of his now, to work towards becoming a saint, I mean, it becomes really difficult, you know? So it's like we're all in this together. It's a whole big package. It's not just one person in a place, unless you say that one person is Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, that's what it takes. It's all of us staying close to him and being united in that love. Mm. And going back on saints real quick, because I bemoan this a lot, right? Mm-hmm. That I always bemoan that there's not a lot of lay saints out there, like truly lay saints. Like canonized lay saints. Canonized lay saints. Mm-hmm. Yes, excuse me. There's a ton of There's a ton of lay saints. We, the yeah. churches haven't canonized that many. But I, I agree with you. The more I've learned and listened about St. Thomas More, mm-hmm. the more I just admire this guy. Yeah. Um, my So there's a podcast that we listen to um, that kind of reenacts the, the Live of the Saints, and they do a really good job. I'm forgetting what it's called, but Andrew and Juliana really enjoy listening to it. We were driving to Ohio, and the one like St. Thomas More came up, and he was in prison, and they, he started reading the letter that he wrote to his daughter in prison before he died, and I'm like, I'm going to lose it. Yeah, like, I, bet I you know were. what this letter's going to say, mm. and I'm driving to Ohio trying to not tear up. I'm trying not to tear up right now. Wow. But like, just understanding this mm. man's desire to love his family but understanding his love and commitment to God and how important that is first and willing in you know his final days to write this letter to his daughter basically saying I'm going to be beheaded but you need to continue to carry on the faith mm. and handing that off it's powerful it's super and powerful. so and I've actually taken a little bit of an effort to find more lay canonized saints in the Catholic Church and especially those who are on their way, yeah, right? Because I also want to see the mo- a little bit more modern-day people that I can relate to. Thomas mm-hmm. More is not too far distant, um, but, you know, the people that have been working in the trenches in the past 100, 200 years, they do exist. Yeah, The church is working to canonize these people as examples for us to follow and live by. So definitely get out there and read about the lives of the saints because it's awesome. You know what I love about Thomas More too? Just one of the things is we talk about charity. Mm-hmm. And I also love it's like the more we can root out like cynicism, because as you read that, like he even talks about, you know, the king and his gracious will has decided only to deprive me of my liberty at this point. And if he I mean, he never says anything terrible about King Henry VIII, mm-hmm. which is incredible. I mean, you think about it now. I mean don't be wrong, like, I have no, like, extreme love for, like, any politician I can think of right now, right? And and that, as I just said and that... They haven't locked you in the Tower of London. No, not at all. Mm. I mean, I'm just paying more for gas. Like, you know, it's like, I mean, come on. But it's, mm. it, it's so different, but it's like we can get so negative and just 
bitter. Mm. And it's like, look, you don't fight hatred with more hatred. Mm. Like, you don't win against the mm. devil by using the devil's weapons mm. because then you're just joining his team. Mm. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't stand up for justice. We don't point out wrongs. St. Thomas More did that up and down. He lost his life mm. for that. Mm. And, quite, and, it, and it was a wrong that is very much accepted these days. It had to do with the king's divorce and putting away another wife so he can take another one, and Thomas More wouldn't stand for it, and neither would St. John Fisher. Mm -hmm. And they were like the only ones who would stand up for this, and yet they stood up for it, but it wasn't like, oh, that King Henry VIII, he's an idiot, and our government's falling apart, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that. It was just, no, I can't stand with this. I die the king's good servant, but God's first. I mean, that, if we can like hold on to that sort of a, mentality, you know, to pray for our elected officials. Here's the thing, do you really like them? Probably not. Like, I, I can't really think of many right now that I think, I want to go have a beer with that guy. There hmm. just aren't that many right now. Not that, But we don't do any good by just, like, railing against them. Hmm. We need to pray for them. Hmm. Say, Lord, you love him more than I do. He's in your hands. Take care of him. I'll say a prayer for him. You know, offer him up in my divine mercy chaplet and help me to be the saint you're calling me to be. And let it be at that. Like, don't mm. write another angry blog about what an idiot he is. Like, okay, yeah, point out injustices. we got to stand up for life. Like, no, you can't just say, you know, abortion is health care. No, it's not. Not for the baby, my goodness. Mm. And really not for the woman either. By the way, there's all sorts of spiritual, psychological, not to mention physical difficulties after the fact. And we're here to help people after that, to clean up, to to help them to know that they're still loved by God and that, you know, after repentance that healing is possible, there's so much good. But getting cynical about that, it, mm. I feel like it's just, mm. it's like fighting fire with just more fire. Mm. And that's not really helpful. And mm. so like that power of charity and God gives us the grace to be able to do it. It's so awesome. So mm. I feel like I keep going on tangents today. Mm. Oh, and I mean... Holiness is awesome. One last thing before we move Please, on. Robbie. Go for yeah, it. the last, I think it's interesting that the church in the section on the church being holy, the last paragraph before we're talking about what does it mean that the church is Catholic, paragraph 829. But while in the most blessed virgin, the church has already reached that perfection whereby she exists without spot or wrinkle, the faithful still strive to conquer sin and increase in holiness. And so they turn their eyes to Mary. In her, the church is already the all holy. And so the fast track, the fast track to sanctity. Which doesn't exclude the cross. We always have a cross in this mm -hmm. life, but the fast track to sanctity is giving ourselves over to Our Lady and doing the Marian consecration, and she will help us overcome whatever vices and fears that we may have. Good job. So, I'm really glad you pointed that out because mm -hmm. I would have felt really bad later on if we had just jumped on the next part <laughs> and not mentioned our Blessed Mother. St. Thomas More. Yeah, oh, oh, we totally forgot about me. Wait, what about Our Lady, Queen of All Saints? Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Robbie. That was awesome. All right, church is Catholic. So, first of all, as most people probably know, because I think we hear this a lot, Catholic means universal, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to understand that when we say Catholic, the church is the universal church. It's for all people, all human beings at all times. Mm -hmm. And we are trying, and even if people aren't Catholic with a capital C, they are unified to the Catholic church by the, the truths and by the goodness and by the lives that they live, whether they recognize it or not. So when so the Catholic Church is the universal church really encompassing all human beings at all times. And why is that the case? Well, first of all, Jesus Christ is the founder of the Catholic Church. Yeah. Right? Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, died once and for all, for all human beings, for all sins, for all time. 
right? So that one final uh, perfect sacrifice for repentance of sins, for the forgiveness of sins, is for all people. I think we should just read that paragraph there in 830. That word says first. Go for it. First, the church is Catholic because Christ is present in her. And I love, this is a quote from St. Ignatius of Antioch, who is one of the earliest fathers of the church, I think, was alive when St. John the Evangelist was still alive. I think they were contemporaries, if I'm not mistaken there. So, and he says this, Where there is Christ Jesus, there is the Catholic Church. In her subsists the fullness of Christ's body, united with its head. This implies that she receives from him the fullness of the means of salvation, which he has willed, which, which he has willed, correct and complete confession of faith, full sacramental life, and ordained ministry and apostolic succession, which is those three marks of unity from before. The church was in this fundamental sense Catholic on the day of Pentecost and will always be so until the day of the Perusia. Um, that 309 there, I find that, you know, the Agentes is the document that comes from. But, you know, the church Catholic on the day of Pentecost. I find the Acts of the Apostles to be like just this unique, I don't know, it just kind of like made me think here recently about how that, for, for people reading sacred scripture, like that should point them towards the church in such a big way. It's like, you know, the 28 chapters of Acts of the Apostles. It's like, okay, the continual spreading of the church. You've got St. Luke writing this very close uh, companion of St. Paul. You've got those sections as it moves on later on where he starts throwing in the um, first person plural uh, pronoun, the we. Like all of a sudden, like Luke's a part of things. Like at first he's recording stuff that he's learned, like Pentecost and all this. And then like chapter, I want to say 18, he's a part of the apostolic journeys. And all of a sudden it says, and then we sailed to Troas. And, we did it. and then he's back out of it again, like while Paul's in prison, then they're back at it again. And then it's interesting because it just sort of ends. Like Paul's in prison and that's it. It's interesting because it's like, well, why did it end there? Well, that's as far as we've gotten. Like, that's as far as Luke could get because that was today, and there's the period, and that's the end of it. And it's like, so here it is, and it's like, and then mm. it continues. Mm. Like, it's still unfolding to this day, an apostolic succession and the handing on of the faith. And it's the thing, it's like, well, well, who founded your denomination? It's like, well, it's not a denomination. It is the church that Jesus Christ gave us. And we can trace it right back to Acts 28, all the way through, all the way back to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And his genealogy goes back to Adam. So it's like the, you know, all human beings are included. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, going back to that particular time, it's like it, it, it's for us all and it subsists in the church that Christ has given us. So that's just, yeah, I just find that mm. fascinating. Did you learn that at your conference too? Um, well, he went through a little I've bit more of the Because i never heard the pronoun part. That is really Oh, awesome. yeah, the, the we never... sections, yeah. yeah, where Luke all of a sudden is a part of it, and then he's not there anymore. And then he's a part of it again. Like, it's it's really mm. cool. It's mm. just, yeah, just that that we is suddenly in there. Now, it's I didn't learn about it for the first time there, but I never really thought about it until this conference. And he didn't, like, draw a lot of attention to this, but just, like, the way it just, it just ends. Like, mm. Paul... Like, it's not, like, you, you know that Paul is probably going to be uh, martyred, but it hasn't happened yet. So, which means that we're still, like, in the early 60s, mm-hmm. which is still really close to the time of the crucifixion. And, I mean, yeah, it's fascinating. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting mm. to just end. And, yeah, I think that's a really good kind of narrative style of just, hey, it just ended. Why did it just end? Because we're supposed to assume it kept going. Yeah. There was no tight bow at the end mm. to say, you know, Oh, look at it. It was over. And we tied yeah. a bow around it. And that thing kind of mm. came to completion. No, there wasn't a bow on it because it, we have to assume 
it was still going. And you look mm. at Catholic and universal here, it just keeps spreading, you know, mm. to all the nations, to all people of all time, that our Lord intended that the faith should spread via, mm. via the church, you know, via his body, the church. And, um, and so he gave us this church to keep going and keep spreading, and we as potential saints get to participate in that work. Mm. Good stuff. Where would you like to go next, Mike? Well, I mean, we got to talk about 832 particular churches because we are a particular church. It is true. So the awesome part about the Catholic Church is that it's not just this kind of huge, broad, universal scale, right? We can bring this down to a much more practical and usable scale. Mm -hmm. This very much comes from, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. Go out and separate them into groups of 50 and 100. And then he sent the apostles out to feed these groups. Who were the first apostles? The first bishops, right? Who were these groups? Arguably, these are the first kind of particular churches, the first group that they went out to give, give bread to, which ultimately would become his bo the body of blood of Christ. And so we are part of this universal church. But the universal church is not just a sum of all the pieces, right? We, here, in the Diocese of Charlotte, are the church. The bishop is the leader of the church here in the Diocese of Charlotte. Father Eckert is one of the shepherds underneath Bishop Jugas. And so the whole universal church is reflected in the fact of the diversity, actually as we were talking about early on within the, the oneness of the church, right here within the Diocese of Charlotte. Now, there is, with this oneness, right, there are things that unify us, specifically the Bishop of Rome, our Holy Father, Pope Francis. So even though each particular church is within themselves the church, they do come together underneath the head of the church, the Pope, to bolt together this, the whole The whole, the whole universal church. church. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. It's once again, it's like that both and we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, okay, bringing up local, uh, or not local, uh, current events, you know, it's like you got the, the synodal way going on in Germany, and the Vatican just issued a, like, kind of like a cautionary, like, you know, you can't just change church teaching Germany. Like, you realize this, right? Like, you know, you, you can't just go off in whatever direction you want. Um, just like we can't do that here. And yet, in the great mystery and wisdom and just glory of God, it's like, you know, the fullness of the faith, like the little kids that were at Mass this morning, 11, they get to receive that in the same way here that someone who went to Mass at St. Peter's in the Vatican or went to Mass at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre this morning in, in Jerusalem, they all receive the same Christ. He makes himself present in all of these places. So it's like in the particular church. And because, you know, we had Mass today with the little guys for Totus Tuus, you know, I came down to preach. I like to come down to them and ask them questions. So it's like, you know, the different ways, once again, like unity without uniformity. You can adapt within, you know, the particular guidelines to, you know, help, you know, like, what is it? Information is received according to the mode of the receiver. Like, you can go about ways of trying to help them to receive the faith in a way I'm probably not going to do on a Sunday, you know? Um, and it's, it's just, it's awesome how that happens. It's like on the particular level. The way you preach in Salisbury is probably not exactly the same way you preach in Mongolia, but it's still the same Christ. It's still the same gospel. Mm. And carrying on the cherry Please. vibe because it's right here. <laughs> 834. 
uh, just the first sentence, really. Particular churches are fully Catholic through their communion with one of them, the Church of Rome, which presides in charity, right? So the Church of Rome understands that they are the head of the church, but with this utmost charity of recognizing that they're overseeing the Catholic Church of the entire world. So thank you, Pope Francis, for presiding in charity. We keep praying for him all the time. Uh, Absolutely. So who belongs to the Catholic Church? Robbie, you want to start us off here? Yeah, I'll start with that first paragraph. Go for it. All men are called to this Catholic unity of the people of God, and to it, in different ways, belong or are ordered the Catholic faithful, others who believe in Christ, and finally, all mankind called by God's grace to salvation. So, right there. All men are called to this Catholic unity of the people of God. Catholic, universal, right? And of course, that men is the understanding of humankind. Yes. We'll just throw it out there. Exactly. It's, it's all, good, yeah. good thing to clarify. Absolutely. Just, you know, just, mm. yeah. In the, in the Latin, it makes perfect sense, but just sometimes in the English, it's like just it's a mm. good thing to kind of emphasize. Exactly. Um, I did, so in the margins, and I don't take many notes in my catechism, but in 837, I wrote the word warning exclamation point. So I'm going to read that real yeah, quick. Yeah, I, I underlined mm. the warning too. Good. Fully incorporated in the society of the church, are those who, possessing the Spirit of Christ, accept all the means of salvation given to the Church, together with her entire organization, and who, by the bonds constituted by the profession of faith, the sacraments, ecclesiastical government, and communion, are joined in the visible structure of the Church of Christ, who rules her through the Supreme Pontiff and the bishops. Even though incorporated into the Church, one who does not, however, persevere in charity is not saved. He remains indeed in the bosom of the church, but in body, not in heart. It's a good, strong warning because it's one of those things. It's like uh, when people, you know, say, "Lord, Lord," you know, like uh, you preached in our in our streets and we we ate with you, but you know, why are we on the outside? And he's like, "I never knew you." And notice that too. yeah, it's so interesting too about who do not persevere in charity. I told you there was a you're lot right. of charity. You're absolutely right. I didn't notice mm-hmm. it as much. You're absolutely right. We have to persevere. Once again, you have to cooperate with the grace. It's not like, you know, okay, I'm an Eckert, right? No matter what I do. Like, I received that name. I was born with it. You know, I'm the last John Eckert in the line of all the John Eckerts that have come before me because I'm a celibate. Um, All this sort of stuff. Like, I'm not going to lose it. But, you know, like, I I have to, like, cooperate. Like, I, I can't. Just be like, well, I'm an Eckerd. Everything is fine. Like, no, I have to, I have to work on my relationship with my family. I got to talk to them. I got to forgive them when things are wrong. They got to forgive me. I got to ask for repentance. We have to work at that charity. Being in the body of Christ, like, yeah, you can be like, yeah, Catholic all my life. You go to mass? No. You ever use sacraments? No. Like, like, okay, you may have the name Catholic, but you have to be careful not to fall in a trap of someday Jesus being able to say to you, "I never knew you." And that, that is such a fascinating way mm. of him putting that. You know, he wants to be in a relationship mm. with us. Once again, charity. He loves us. You know, it's not just like an arbitrary following of the rules. Mm. He wants us to know him and to be known by him. Mm. And ultimately, I mean, that's what we all want. We want mm. to be known and understood and loved. And then he wants us to return that love. And it's, it's a glorious thing, but it's like you don't just get to skate in because you have the membership card, you know, mm. because you've been called Catholic or because mm. you've been called Christian. Um, there, we do have to participate. Yes, it's all gifts, but there's the warning. Like, just because you are kind of like in the visible bonds doesn't mean you can just skate in. Mm. Exactly. 
No skating in. No skating in. work. There, yeah, salvation is not a lazy river. It, mm. it is the narrow mm. way. Um, just like when, when someone says to our Lord, you know, will many be saved? He, he doesn't say, yeah, 47. No, he says, strive to enter by the narrow gate. I mean, we have to strive. And he even says, wide is the road that leads to perdition. Narrow is the way that leads to salvation. We have to keep striving. It's mm. not a lazy river. Mm. And the only way the lazy river is going, unfortunately, is to hell. Mm. So you have to keep getting up and striving every single day. Mm. Yeah, there was no laziness this week at Tobis Tours. I'll tell you that. We're, we're, yeah, we, we do not fall into the trap of pareza around here, as they say in Spanish. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that what I think this next section is, is really interesting because then it starts, because obviously, as we said in 836, all people are part of this universal church. But we also understand that there are some that are more connected mm-hmm. to it than others in the truth of the church. Um, so I'm going to read 838, and then we'll kind of move through a couple other things as well. The church knows that she is joined in many ways to the baptized, who are honored by the name of Christian, but do not profess the Catholic faith in its entirety or have not preserved unity or communion under the accessory of Peter. Those who believe in Christ and have been properly baptized are put in a certain, although imperfect, communion with the Catholic Church. With the Orthodox churches, this communion is so profound that it lacks little to attain the fullness that would permit a common celebration of the Lord's Eucharist. So what we're doing here now is we're looking at the different kind of religious denominations or religious groups. And we are recognizing that obviously Christians, those who are baptized in Christ, have a certain level of unity, a preserved unity, but not a full unity. There's something lacking. And we kind of hinted at this at the oneness section, right? As Father said, we're very cautious in the world's day and age to say, hey, I have something greater than you have, right? Mm. But even the Catholic Church is recognizing that right here in the paragraph 838. And then we get into non-Christians, right? The first that the, uh, the Catechism recognizes is the Jewish, pe- Jewish people. Obviously, they have a huge connection to the church insofar as they were the chosen people of the Old Covenant in the entirety of the Old Testament, right? We, the Catholic Church, wouldn't exist without Judaism. Jesus himself was a Jew, right? So there is a hugely important connection between the Catholic Church and Judaism insofar as we share all of this shared tradition. However, right, Christ came and there was, Christ was leading the Jews, to the fulfillment of Judaism. And some have not followed that fulfillment in the same way. Which, by the way, with the transfiguration in the Gospel of Luke, when Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus, they speak to him of his exodus. It's the new exodus of the new people of God, like going through and like his, you know, death on the cross, the going through, it's like the Red Sea of death, you know, into the resurrection. Anyway, continue. Fantastic. (laughs) We also, then it talks about in 841, right, the relationship of the Muslim people. Right? We share the understanding of a single creator, right? There's a there's some unified traditions. Also, Muslims profess Abraham as the a father of faith, just as we do in the Jewish tradition. Then we have, you know, other non-Christian religions recognizing uh, humanity, the origins of humans, recognizing that there may or may not be something that comes after death. So ultimately, no matter what faith tradition people hold, there can be connections of truth. And these are the spots where we need to use that holiness to go out and share that holiness, mm. to share the beauty of the Catholic Church, 
And this is how we start that dialogue. This mm -hmm. is how we create that trust um, to start to build that relationship to show them the fullness of the truth within the Catholic Church. And then I'd really like to read 843, and then I'll pass it off. Sounds great. Um, 843. The Catholic Church recognizes in other religions that search among shadows and images for the God who is unknown yet near, since he gives life and breath in all things and wants all men to be saved. Thus, the church considers all goodness and truth found in these religions as a preparation for the gospel and given by him who enlightens all men that they may at length have life. So these truths that are found in religions are the lifelines for the preparation to receive the gospel message. And we, as evangelizers, need to use those lifelines hmm. to evangelize. Hmm. And I think once again, going back to that charity, it's, you know, we want to love the person that we encounter. And, and because we love them, we want to give them this pearl of great price, mm -hmm. this treasure we found in the field, um, to share that with them and to see, like, the bits and pieces that like, they're already sharing in and to share that with them, but not to treat them, like, as a project or, mm. like, a goal to be one, mm. like, just individual encounter with people. And I know some of the language of, like, encounter and accompaniment and all that can kind of be, like, railroad. But, it, I mean, when you think about it, it's like, okay, who has the biggest influence on you? It's like when you have these individual encounter sort of things, someone is passionate about what they know and believe, and we've got the knowledge of knowing. It's like we're committed to and completely given over to the one who is the way and the truth and the life, the one who is the you know, founder, source, and soul, you know, like, like to be connected to God, it's like we have nothing to fear, um, but to, to listen to people, to bring them the, the gifts that we have, and to, it's like, you know, like meeting someone where they are, but loving them enough not to just leave them there, but to keep welcoming them deeper and mm. deeper into the great gift mm. that we have in the church. And the amazing thing is, and that's why I like what Monsignor Heinz was saying about in the morning, like not dreading the day, but praying uh, or renewing your baptismal promises, praying the Apostles' Creed, because God will give you what you need, and you don't know what's mm. going to come up today. Maybe a mm. chance encounter with some person, mm. or you know, just uh, like an email exchange with someone, or just who knows. Like even just your example, living your life, you may not even realize that you were being witnessed by someone else at the store, and that had an impact on them. So just live the life and live it well. Don't treat people like a project, but remember, it's like okay, yeah, there's there's participation in the truth in all these different places, and just like in the very fact that we're all created in the image and likeness of God by the very natural law, it's like we know by our very life and breath and we have being. There's something. There's something rather than nothing, and to and the, even the people that are like totally given over to nihilism, like then why are you fighting all this? Why are you still here? You know, it's like why why the fight? You know, like, mm. what are you concerned about? Mm. What's the care? Mm. Like, to listen to that. And that's why, in mm. some ways, I find it fascinating that in, in uh, Revelation, it's the lukewarm that our Lord mm. spits out from his mouth. Not that those who, like, passionately hate him. Mm. Because there's a passion there. You know, as opposed to lukewarm, mm. you just don't care. Mm. That's the harder group to, mm. to reach. But the ones who are passionate, sometimes they're passionate for a reason because they're at actually passionate about justice, and they don't understand why there's so much injustice in the mm. world. And then you can point to, towards the crucifix and be like, look at what the just one took on himself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so like to, and it takes patience and time and all this, and our Lord has a lot of patience. And that's why it's like, Lord, why is this still going on? Why haven't we just finished? Well, he knows like the mosaic piece that he needs next for the big picture, and we're not going to see it until, you know, after we're gone and the final judgment. Mm. So, yeah, fascinating. Mm. Robbie, anything to share there? 
Yeah, I great comments by Father. I, I think there's such an art to evangelization. It's like we have to avoid these two extremes. And Father alluded to one already. Like there's that one like the one extreme of looking at a person as a project and looking at them and saying, like kind of just going past whatever praise or the elements that they have experienced that they appreciate in whatever religion they're a part of, just putting on a, that block and just saying, you are a project, whatever it takes to make you a Catholic, uh, and not recognize the person and where they are and their experiences. So that's one extreme where we, just don't, we kind of objectify them in a way um, with a good intention but in a wrong object. The other extreme is like, which I think is, is, is what Father was alluding to too, that this call to be courageous is like it's so easy, especially in our age, uh, so info, infested with relativism to, uh, to incline more towards just wanting to in little ways, just not really care about truth, about objective truth, religious truth, and kind of just go along. And, you know, love in our modern culture is toleration of the other, uh, absolute toleration of whatever else anybody wants to believe or do and so forth. And so we have to transcend beyond this culture. Like, toleration has a place. There's a place for toleration. We have to transcend above that, this cultural notion of love is toleration. And to have that courage, like this... Some of this, the virtues of prudence and courage, and particularly with the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we have in our soul, like the, the, the gifts of counsel and fortitude, this fortitude that, as you know, St. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. St. Paul who knew that the gospel is worth the risk of whatever it takes, but also at the same time, while well, he had that courage and that confidence in the power of God to do what God was calling him to do and to propagate the truth uh, and to evangelize. At the same time, St. Paul had that great prudence. He had tact in the way he presented the faith um, and, and so forth. So we have to have that, you know, be aware of these two extremes and, and be, pray for that grace to be courageous but yet prudent and for the gifts of the Holy Spirit of counsel and fortitude that we would truly, in, in a courageous manner, be His instruments to bring people into the faith. And um, I think the last thing uh, at the moment on this point, because uh, we've been talking a lot about holiness and evangelization, and, and I love this quote from St. Thomas Aquinas, um, one of the greatest thinkers in the history of the church, and he says a simple quote on evangelization, that if you want to convert someone, you have to go take them by the hand and guide them. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to what Father is saying, like, you have to, like, take them by the hand. And, like, there's a sense of, like, yeah, I, I definitely resonate with everything what Father is saying about, like, there's a lot of, like, modern notions that can be taken in the wrong way of, like, accompaniment and so forth. And then there's this role of, like, trying to understand that in a holistic sense of, like, we're tr- truly trying to, like, build these relationships with people and take them by the hand and insofar as we can to show them the goodness uh, that we have received in, in the Catholic Church and to do everything we can to bring them into that fold. That was excellent. And I like what you said about tolerance almost taking the place of charity. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think you hit it right on the head right there that our world pounds us with tolerance and acceptance. But charity actually sometimes is hard, mm-hmm. right? I just don't accept the fact that my son won't put his dishes in the sink, right? Yeah. In charity, I want him to grow up to be mm. a good, educated human being. Mm-hmm. And part of that charity is to say, Andrew, if you don't put your dish in the sink, you will get punished sometimes, yeah. mm. right? That is charity. I could tolerate it. I could say, oh, he didn't do it again. All right, God picked this up, put it in the sink. But no, I need him to learn and change because that is not the right response to the fact that he had a dish on the table that he didn't do the proper thing with it. And yeah, it's, and I think what you just said, you know, about it's not just tolerance. We have to be willing to Mm. 
admonish the sinner, mm-hmm. right? At times, mm-hmm. and it's hard, and but it's, with and charity. It's charity. Mm-hmm. And it's because of charity that you admonish them. I was thinking about it too. Actually, that's the same thing that kind of stood out. I got about the first. tolerance. You're right. No, I'm glad you did. Mm-hmm. And one of the other ways you can tell that tolerance and love are not the same thing, think about the wedding vows at a marriage and replace the word, you know, I will love you and honor you all the days of my life for, with I will tolerate you and honor mm-hmm. you all the days of my life. Like, I will tolerate yeah. you. Like, woohoo. Woohoo. Like, that's not what we're called. Mm-hmm. It's like we're not just you know, all kind of just inhabiting the same place, just trying not to get on each other's nerves. Like, that kind of sounds like hell. You know, like, mm. ultimately, like, to love, to sacrifice, to want the good of the other as other, mm. which ultimately is, you know, it works out to be good for everyone, you know? But to love in that way, to love by admonishing, that's hard. It's easier just to clean up after your son. But the trouble is it's not good for your son because then he grows up to be a brat. And that's Mm. not good for anybody. And the further he moves away from people who love him, from his parents to his teachers to his boss to, you know, they're not going to tolerate him as well. They're going to fire him or, you know, because he's a jerk. Like, so so to love someone involves loving correction. But it's Mm. because you want him to soar, you know, and just, yeah, mere toleration, it kind of, like, goes back into that, like, just slothful, not caring at the end of the day, but it does take fortitude. You're absolutely mm. right, and we gotta pray for that all the mm. time because man, that's hard. Mm. So, good so stuff. we are over time, but we have three or four really heavy hitting paragraphs that I feel like we have to get to before we we wrap up. Mm. So we're just gonna read the header because we're just gonna lay it out there, right? The header yep. of this section, right before it, paragraph eight forty six. Outside the church, there is no salvation. Now this is. A very, very popular topic in the church that is debated and people don't like this teaching. But reading 846, and I think this is really interesting how the catechism does this. How are we to understand this affirmation often repeated by the church fathers? That affirmation being outside the church there's no salvation. Reformulated positively, it means that all salvation comes from Christ the head through the church, which is his body. I think we need to use that reformulated positive affirmation more often, right? All salvation comes from Christ the head through the church, which is his body. I mean, that's what we've been talking about basically since we started this um, live stream catechism series. It's about being connected to the church because it's Christ's body. That's how Christ set up the means of salvation. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of, too, is, okay, you know, all through his body. You know how lately there's been, like, a little bit of uproar here and there because of different, like, priests and or deacons not actually following the formula of baptism and saying, mm. we baptize you in the name mm. of the Father and the Son? It's an interesting thing because the big problem with that and why that's not a valid baptism is because it is Christ who baptizes in the name of the Father. So, like, it's, it's in my being configured to Christ by holy orders, in my priesthood, that I am able to say, I baptize you. And it's, like it's, it's a configuration to Christ himself. And the we doesn't, doesn't work. It's not the plural. It is Christ who does it. And he acts through his church. So it's like I, on behalf of the church, like Christ acts through his church and brings about salvation. It's like he has willed and instituted this to bring about it. I mean, you go to John three sixteen, talking or John chapter three, talking about salvation, you know, through baptism. Like he he wants us to be saved, but he has willed it through the church. Now, there's mysterious ways that this comes about. It all comes through him, 
And that's why we have to keep striving. You know, mm. like how many will be saved? Strive to mm. enter through the narrow gate. And he provides all mm. that we need through his body, the church. Mm. Beautiful. I think that's great. Mm. Um, we'll, just start, we'll just start at 849 next time, I think, with the missionary yeah, requirement of 100%. the church. Yeah, I think we start there too. So, awesome. Any last thoughts? Any last comments, concerns, announcements? The church is awesome. Um, and the re, and, you know, it's interesting. So, like, I feel like the more, like, just the more I study, the more I read, the more I feel convinced that we're doing the right thing with the faith formation program because it's like, you know, okay, you can't kind of coast along. Like, we all need to embrace this. I get that we're all not, like, you know, Dominicans who can go back to their room and study for hours. Like, it's okay. But, you know, for everybody to do all that they can to keep opening up the treasure that is the church, that is our faith. Um, and we're striving to make that as accessible as possible, but everybody needs to pick it up and do their part, you know? And, and I say that not to be like a lazy priest. In fact, this kind of is taking more work on us in a lot of ways. Like we're not just doing what we've always done, but like asking the parents like, hey, take on your role as parent, which you promised when you had your child baptized, to be the first instructor in the faith. We're going to try to empower you to do that. And the beautiful thing is, like, what's the best way to learn a subject? Teach it. And the more that you strive to teach your child, the more you're going to fall in love with Jesus Christ, the more you're going to see that this isn't just like a heavy burden to be lifted. It's a treasure to be enjoyed and to love him and to know him and to grow in that. And I'm excited to see like more and more of our parishioners falling more and more in love with Christ and then like bringing new insights to the fore because, hey, we all have different ways of approaching things. We all come from the background. It's all unified, but there's the diversity of gifts of, you know, Robbie brings something to the table that I've never experienced. He came into the church as a college student at, you know, the University of Tennessee with a Methodist background. And, you know, it's like he brings something that I as a, you know, Catholic from conception just don't, you know, don't fully understand. But it's, we get to bring these different things to it and get to know Christ more and more, and it's all unified in charity, as Michael has done such a good job in pointing out so many times today. So, I mean, the more we grow here in this particular church of the Diocese of Charlotte, specifically here at the Parish of Sacred Heart, I mean, just the more we get to be on fire with this great gift that we have. So, I'm excited. And use those charisms. Yeah, use them all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Bring them here. We'll put you to work. Absolutely. And unfortunately, this is, at least for right now, for the summer, this is kind of like our one and only show with Robbie, because the next time we do this, we'll be praying for Robbie as he uh, heads back to seminary, along with Luke, our seminary for last year, and Chinanso, Deacon Chinanso, and Deacon Chris, who were with us before, and we'll pray for, and of course, Noe and the Harrison brothers, like all of our seminarians that we have here. Um, we'll just keep them in our prayers. We'll be praying for Robbie, and so glad you've been with us Thanks, today Bob. and throughout the summer. Appreciate it. Thank it's you. It's been great. It's been great to be with you guys today. It's awesome. awesome. Let's close with prayer, and we'll wrap it up. Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. And as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Mary, Mother of the Church. Pray, pray for, for us. St. Joseph. Pray, pray for, for us. The Lord be with you. And with, with your spirit. Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God.